Welcome to the Chasing Something podcast with me, Lorinda Pretorius. Here, we get real and raw about the struggles and the joys of being a young adult following Jesus in a post-Christian world. Join me as I engage in tough, controversial, and highly relevant conversations to enable you to thrive in your chase. and welcome to today's episode. If you follow me on any of my social media, you will know that today's topic is my favorite thing to talk about because we're gonna talk about sex. I know you've been waiting for this episode um, and here it is now. (laughs) And I'm here with my friend Riley. She is part of a like Instagram ministry for um, like godly singleness called Riley and Riley. She's also best friends with Riley from my other godly singleness episode. So if you know someone with the name Riley, I highly suggest, you know, becoming friends with them because all the Rileys I've met are really cool. So <laughs> Riley, do you want to <laughs> just tell everyone a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, what you do, why you like talking about sex? All that fun stuff. <laughs> wow. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. It's I'm so excited for this. I love talking about sex. Same. <laughs> but my name is <laughs> my name is Riley Sewell, and you'll detect an accent because I'm half American and half Kiwi. I grew up in New Zealand. I grew up on a farm. Our family had traveled and lived in 25 countries by the time I was 15. So a lot of traveling when I was younger. And then about three years ago, I moved from New Zealand to America. And the past three years, I've been doing my master's in global leadership at Fuller Seminary located in Los Angeles. And as of the end of this month, I finished my master's. And I am a traveling public speaker. I write for multiple magazines. And I also write a blog called Journal of a 25-Year-Old Virgin, which is probably my most public and bold step when it came to talking about my opinions and my journey when it came to my sexuality because I put out the journal these journals in other words blogs a year ago and it was crazy I just thought I would just post it subtly and the next thing you know 10,000 people are reading it and I'm like okay a lot of people want to know about my opinions of sex So I've been writing on that blog ever since about pornography, masturbation, singleness, uh, have I had sex, what are my opinions on sex, and I think a lot of why I talk about sexuality is because I feel like I was very fortunate to come up, grow up in a family that talked a lot about sex so openly, but also I feel like so wholly. And it was, I was 13 when my mom took me away on something she called the weekend. And we go off into the mountains in New Zealand in this beautiful Airbnb. And she sits there and she tells me about sex and pornography and masturbation and puberty and the way our body responds and our sexuality. And I just remember she told me about sex. I turned to her and I said, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And I still think that to this day, that sex is one of the most beautiful things that I have ever heard. And I think if I can play a part in starting a different kind of conversation than what the world is is talking about, then that is a job well done in my mind. I love that. Personally, everything that you mentioned now in terms of your content, I will link down below. So everyone, please go check that out. I've read a few of your blog posts and yeah, they're just so encouraging and open and vulnerable and I love it. So yeah, definitely go check that out. But the other thing that I just love is, you know, your heart for starting this conversation. And I love Mm. that you grew up in a house where you could have this conversation. Um, Mm. It's interesting because I have a similar heart, but my experience was the complete opposite. Um, 
I remember my mom not speaking to me about sex, just giving me this book to read about it. And um, yeah, it, it's an interesting, it was a pretty interesting situation. Um, but after recommitting my life to Jesus and really committing my sexuality to Jesus again, um, I just mm. realized this conversation is so necessary and even though there yeah. were a few things that I knew when I was younger, I think I could have benefited so much from an open conversation where I could ask mm. questions and um, not be shamed for having temptation or not be shamed for having like detailed questions and not knowing exactly <laughs> what's going on. Um, instead of just hearing a message of like don't have sex before marriage and like yeah that's where it starts and ends um yeah and I think sex is such a beautiful thing and I think our sexuality is so beautiful and I just think it's so important to understand at first because how can you honor God with something that you don't take the time to understand you know um, yeah, and I think exactly. in a lot of Christian circles, understanding our sexuality is, um, I don't want to say oppressed, but like it's not recommended because <laughs> the world is obviously coming with this whole like questioning your sexuality the whole time, that type of message. Then I think the, um, the church kind of retaliates and it's like, no, don't think about it. Don't question it at all which I also don't think is healthy, you know, there's, I don't know, we live in this world where there's not a lot of space for, like, nuance, but I think that's necessary, that, yeah, both sides. So, I just want to, let's, we're just going to jump into, you know, what sex is and all that beautiful stuff. So, <laughs> could you tell me a little bit about, what do you, what do you think the biggest differences is between the world's view of sex and God's view of sex? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And before I answer that question, I just want to quickly say two things to the people that are listening. And the first one is that the person who's listening, you will never compromise your belovedness. That if you're listening to this and you're going to hear both of our stories and you may hear of it and be like, oh, I can relate or, oh, I feel so guilty about this part of my story. I just want to remind you that before we get into this, that God loves you no matter what you've done and that your mistake, if you consider it a mistake, your sex sexual history will never, ever exceed God's love. And the second thing I want to say is that I am so sorry that, especially if you grew up in the church, that you didn't feel the freedom to talk about this because I, as you, just as you said, shame has silenced too many people and the church has had this narrative of telling us what to do, but telling creates resistance and asking asking creates relationships. And so I'm so glad that we can jump into this conversation and ask each other because from that we can have the relationships and remove shame from our the equation of our conversation. But to answer your question, what is the difference between the world's view of sex and God's view of sex is I feel like the world sees sex similar to fast food it's something a lot of people can get and you can get it really quickly but the nutritional value or even just simply the value of it is not that high but God sees sex as a five course meal with wine in every course and dessert and and why I say that is because I feel like the world views it as almost kind of like this obsession. Like we want it now, instant gratification. No wonder pornography is so popular because with a simple click, you can watch someone having sex. But the world, um, but God views it as something that is to be valued. And if it's valued, we're willing to wait for it. Because I happen to believe that if something doesn't cost you much, it will not be appreciated much either. Um, but one similarity I believe that is between God's view of sex and the world's view of sex is this may surprise you, but the God and the world both want us to have a lot of sex. But the world wants us to have a lot of sex with a lot of people. And God encourages us to have a lot of sex with one person under the covenant of marriage. And think of the first ever commandment that God gave us as human beings was be fruitful and multiply. God's like, go have fun. This is a gift. I created for you. Yes, it creates children, but in the process of it, 
as fun and enjoyment. And it's so crazy to think that sex was one of our first commandments we were ever given. And it was a place of love and a place of intimacy. And it was a gift to humans. Yeah, I just really agree with everything that you're saying. <laughs> I think <laughs> also the like the world has made sex this commodity and the world is very much about like sex is definitely um, a selfish thing, I think, in the yeah. world um, because it's about pleasing yourself where I think sex in God's uh, view is about giving yourself to another person and, yeah, and not, really yeah, not that this selfishness and really it's about intimacy and vulnerability. And I think that's something that people don't understand or they don't completely grasp why it's so important to have a covenant before you have sex. Because the whole idea is that you are naked and unashamed before this person. And when there is a covenant, of course, I know now we have like very high rates of divorce. But in God's view of marriage, there's no such thing as divorce. You can't separate what God has brought together. And so this idea is that you committed to this person. And so when you are naked in front of them, there is no space for rejection. When you mm. think about the like what's going on in the world right now, I mean, there's, especially with hookup culture and one night stands, everyone receives rejection when they're in the most vulnerable spot ever. Um, and I think yeah. people also kind of forget that the intimacy that you experience in you like in your sex life will only be like as deep or sacred as the intimacy you experience like outside of your bedroom. Like it's this beautiful thing of intimacy, but if you don't have this connection, this commitment, open communication with your partner, like yet, I mean, I'm not saying that you won't have fun, but you won't experience true intimacy that I believe God intended for sex, you know? Mm. and just as like food is something we digest food is also something we talk about and I think the same applies to sex sex is something we digest but sex is also something we talk about mm. yeah I also like recently um, started watching the series called normal people but I kind of had to skip the entire series because <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> And because it was just sex. <laughs> no, but like, and you know, it made me think, wow, our culture is over-sexualized. And again, oh, yeah. I think sex is beautiful. And I think it's so necessary to talk about mm. it in a healthy context. But there's also, sex has definitely become an idol. I think there's this um, quote that I heard in one of, like one of my favorite sermons and the pastor um or the quote that he said was you know everything's about sex except sex because that is about power and I really think that's the world we live in right now um where it has totally become this idol and again I think it's a beautiful thing I think it's a gift um the same way you know marriage is a gift but personally, that doesn't happen to everyone. Not having sex does not kill you physically, emotionally, or <laughs> spiritually. That's just like a lie. Um, and I can appreciate the gift, but also knowing that I'm not lacking. My experience of life is not lacking because I didn't or don't have sex right now. You know? Yeah. And we can live without sex, but we can't live without intimacy. Mm. And I love that we serve a single savior. You know, we're out here being like, who can I look to for a role model? And Jesus is like, uh, me. Because Jesus comes to earth, like self-actualizes as a single person, conquers death as a single person, does his ministry as a single person. And all of that was without sex. And so he's the person that we see living life to the fullest and he's doing it without sex. 
but he is doing it with intimacy look at the way he interacted with people the way he interacted with women how he had his three closest friends and his 12 disciples he was constantly surrounded by people and did life broke bread did ministry with people and so I think that that's such a beautiful image of someone who lived without sex, but with a whole lot of intimacy. Mm, I love that because that's so true. It's the same thing. I said a similar thing in um, my podcast episode on godly singleness. And it's this idea of like, you, you can live without a spouse, but you can't live without community. You were created for relationship and that intimacy that Mm. yes we find with Jesus but I mean we also find it with people because even when Adam was in Eden which was essentially heaven with God God still created Eve for him Um, and so Mm. even in heaven he still needed another human to have that um, relationship Um, but another question is how or why do you think sex has become such a taboo topic in the church and yeah why do you think it's so important to talk about it you know (laughs) that's a great question well i think we live in such a as we were saying before a sexually anxious and saturated world and like if you think about how sexual just as you said you watched a tv show and sexual messages and scenes were bombarded at you Or think about how internet pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry and that 70% of people are are interacting with pornography on a regular basis. Or that 70, uh, sorry, 57% of of pastors in American churches said addiction to pornography is the most sexually damaging issue in their their congregation. And even the 12-step program recently added a program to address sexual addiction. Like we live in a world that never once has our society been so obsessed with sex. And so I think why it's such a taboo topic in the church is because we don't want to talk about something that most people struggle with or most people are not feeling freedom in. Like if, if, if we look at all those stats, then so many people in the church are sitting in a church service And there is something about sex that they are feeling guilt or shame too. And so why I think it's so important for us to talk about is because it's an area that the enemy is almost somewhat winning in. Like the, even if you take pornography as an example, which I think is like a counterfeit love, is pornography, they called it, the U.S. representatives, and I'm here in America, called it the silent um, epidemic. It's a thing that no one's talking about, but yet It is causing so much problems with men being able to perform with people like they're getting addicted to it. And so I think why it's so important to talk about in the church is because it's an area that if we don't talk about something, the enemy is winning. And even like take an example, if you have this may seem like a really random analogy, but if you have a dark room, it's dark and it's hidden and things can hide in it. But the moment you turn on the light, the darkness is forced to flee. And so I think it's why it's so important for us to talk about sex, because sex was always meant to be a subject in the light. It was never meant to be something in the dark. It was a gift for us. And another thing is that people are, everyone is sexual, whether they have sex or not, because sexuality entails more than our our female or male like parts, like more than a vagina and a penis. It affects the way we dress. It, how we present ourselves to others, the way we interact with people, our sense of identity. And so therefore, I think that a call for healthy sexuality for people in the church and out of the church is for everyone who is married, single, and everyone in between. But sexuality is to be embraced and delighted in. Just as you said, it's a good thing, but at the bounds of wisdom and at God-given boundaries. And one of my favorite quotes um, is by this uh, German theologian, and his name is Rollheiser. And he says, sexuality is a beautiful, good, extremely powerful, sacred energy given to us by God. It is also the pulse to celebrate, to give, and to receive delight, to find our way back to the Garden of Eve where we can be naked, shameless, and without worry as we make it, as we make love in the moonlight. Sexuality is not about finding a lover or even finding a friend. It's about overcoming separatedness by giving life and blessing it. 
And I love that idea of like getting back to the garden where we were naked and unashamed, which is exactly what you said. But for us to get to that place, we first need to talk about it. And that's why church, place that community was created for community is one of the best places to have a conversation about sex. Yeah, I, I love that quote so much. Um, wow, that's so beautiful. Um, yeah. And I, again, see, I watch all these interesting videos um, on YouTube a month or so ago. I was uh, watching this video from BuzzFeed on this woman who said she hated her vagina. And I was like, wow, this is an interesting situation. And when she, then they went on, like, um, and they, like, there were people telling about, like, the uh, statistics. I can't remember what it was, but a crazy amount of 16-year-olds go to plastic surgeons to modify their vaginas. Isn't that weird? And it has a lot to do with pornography and the false standards and everything like that. Mm. Um, and I know this sounds really at random, but <laughs> after watching that video, I was thinking, you know what? I have never like thought about my vagina in a good way. I don't know. Like, really? It, I mean, I didn't necessarily <laughs> think about it in a bad way, but it was like, I don't know. And it's like, and I was thinking, you know, people, even like, especially in the culture where I'm from, if you even mention the word like vagina or penis like it's really awkward I mean it is Mm. ridiculously awkward and people are like why are you saying this (laughs) or I mean (laughs) especially when I speak to my family and they're like what do you want to do with your life and I'm like oh I want to become a sexologist and then they're like they don't know if they should ask more if they can run away. Can they not Trigger make word. eye contact with me? It's a very, my mom and I laugh about it now. Um, mm. And it's like, yeah, it's, it seems like such a random thing to bring this up now. But I just think that this also mm. says something about what we think about our sexuality. You know, yeah, if we, right. if God created every part of our bodies beautiful, and if our um, bodies are the temple of God, then that includes our vagina. I mean, and that's, yeah, like, it, that's just such an interesting concept that I haven't thought about it much before that video. And I was just like, yeah, you know, there, we really need to move into, like, a sex-positive, sexuality-positive space in yeah. the Christian realm again not go have sex with everyone but within the will of or within the bounds of god's will we can honor him with our sexuality and we should appreciate it even in our singleness because we are Mm. like you said we are single sexual beings and our sexuality is not our entire identity but it forms a part of it it does it forms the or shapes certain experiences for us um and it's just so important to also embrace that and bring and surrender it to jesus you know but you Mm. can't surrender it if you don't really know what it is or you don't take the time to think about it you know um and even really have a conversation with jesus about it Mm. i remember Mm. um talking to Jesus about my sexuality for the first time and it was a really interesting situation (laughs) and telling people yeah you should do it too and they're like what I should talk Mm. to Jesus about me being turned on like that is not no no oh (laughs) I do it all the time I'm like the other day I was in the car and I was like Jesus I want to have sex so bad right now (laughs) (laughs) and then and then if it's like if that moment becomes too much I'm like then I'm calling my mom and then I'm calling my mentor and I'm like yo like (laughs) it's rough out here in these streets I'm like there's especially if I'm around a cute man I'm like whoa baby yeah (laughs) No, I get, and you know what I think is also pretty harmful is this idea, just not kind of on the topic of sex drive, is two things that I think the church to some extent preaches that is not really great, is this idea that firstly, 
men can't control their sex drives, which is just such a lie. Honestly, everyone can control their sex drive. It's uh, like self-discipline, self-control is a fruit of the spirit. You can control your sex drive. It might be hard, but you can. So this excuse of like, I just can't. And this is not really the the topic for today. And I don't want to go into like, like rape and everything, but it goes into a lot of those things. Like not just that, but no. Like guys, you can control your sex drive. Like this, you're just really lying to yourself. And the second mm. lie is that women don't have a strong sex drive, which as oh, a woman with man. a strong sex okay, drive, man. I found very, <laughs> I feel like this is unhealthy to preach this because it's not true. Mm. And then you also underestimate yourself because you're like, oh, we don't really have strong sex drives, but we do, or at least I do. And it, it's really Girl good time. to be <laughs> really honest with yourself. <laughs> Because how can you, again, honor God if you keep lying to yourself about your sex drive? Mm, mm. Yeah, that's so good. And like, I love what you were saying before about how God created us and he created our bodies and he created our vagina, he created our penis. And I just think about what if we went into like an art museum and there's this beautiful painting on the wall and yet somebody had put a piece of paper and put it on like a corner of the art and so you couldn't fully see the art you mm-hmm. can only see part of it and that's like kind of like what we sometimes do and i'm not saying like show your whole body to someone obviously that is a place which i believe should be for your husband yeah. or your wife but like i just think that it's about claiming all of who you are appreciating yes. all of you who you are including that part and in fact i remember one time i had this this idea of like what if you came into that art and there and you're there's an old man and a young man and they're staring at the art and the young man the old man turns to the young man and says like what do you think of this artwork they're sta- standing there in a museum looking at a piece of art and the young man says you know I think it's really ugly like I don't like this painting I think it's really horrible like I don't think anyone would buy it and the old man turns to the young man and says so you don't like my art and what I mean by that story is the moment that we discredit belittle our art that God created us to be, that he doesn't make a mistake, Mm. we also belittle him. And so by belittling even and by disgrading and ignore even ignoring my vagina, (laughs) (laughs) I do so because God's like, I created all of you and I didn't make a mistake. Yeah. I love that. That is so true. Mm. And I just, uh, people are gonna be so uncomfortable but it's good so you mentioned just now that you believe kind of like showing yourself or having sex is for covenant or for a marriage um mm. but does the bible actually say that sex mm-hmm. before marriage is a sin or that mm-hmm. sex is um specifically designed for marriage where does the Bible mm. say that? Why do you believe that? <laughs> uh, well, I think the Bible talks repeatedly about sexual immorality or sexual sin. And these are for references to sex or talking about any sexual activity outside of marriage. So if you're having sex without being married, there are some very like strict scriptures that God's saying, I don't want you to do that. Or if you look at how three times Songs of Solomon says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so so desires and there are certain scriptures and so I think it's really important not to take one scripture I think it's important to take the entire bible but like 1 Corinthians 7 9 says but if they do not have self-control let them marry for it is better for them to burn with passion or Hebrews 13 4 says let marriage be held in honor of among all things and let marriage and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral. And Matthew 19.5 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And like the two becoming one flesh is referring to sex. And like I said, there's a lot of um, warnings, like uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says like run away from sexual sin. And so I think when you take the whole Bible into account, it talks about the warnings, like I said earlier, the warnings is when it comes to sexual activity outside of marriage. And there's a whole lot of encouragement for sex inside of marriage. Mm. 
Yeah, I will link an article below from um, Relevant Magazine that I think explains the verses really well because I think some oh, awesome. of the um, newer translations have made, you know, that, um, yeah, some things have been changed, but like you said, looking at all of the verses together and the design mm. that God has set um, in Genesis 1 and 2, it is so clear what God's heart is for sexuality mm. and that it is within the bounds of marriage um, and that marriage not just being a contract that can be broken, but a covenant. And I think something that I often remind people of is that in the Old Testament, a covenant or when they um, made a covenant, like two people would take an ox and they would cut it in half and they would put it on the ground and they would like make a, an infinity sign, like walk an infinity sign around the um, different pieces of the ox and the person who broke the covenant right that person could be killed by the other person or be cut in half by them because that is how serious a covenant was and this is like a weird and kind of gross image in a way but I think it's important because I think people don't realize that a covenant is not just this paper that you're signing it, that's a contract um, obviously it's uh, abiding by the law of the country or whatever but you can break um, a contract a covenant is so much more than that it's so much stronger it wasn't made to ever be broken you know um, and I just yeah I think it's so important when we talk about marriage we understand the depth of it because that also makes it so much more beautiful, you know. Um, like I said in the beginning, this idea that there is no rejection. You are naked and unashamed in front of your spouse that has accepted all of you for eternity or as long as you live. And um, yeah, they won't reject you. And that is just so beautiful. Um, but I also wanted to know why do you well, like do you have any personal convictions when it comes to saving sex for marriage besides just the idea of you know well God says so that's a very valid point um, but do you have any other personal convictions that you would like to share with us <laughs> this is probably my favorite question that you've asked so far because I have so many and I think that it's so important for us if we make a decision to wait until we're married to have something more than just a rule because a rule is not going to hold us we need the reason like a, a, a house can hold but like but without the foundation, without the concrete deep into the ground, it's not going to stay sta standing in the wind, in the storm. And so why I say that is because I think it's really good for us and to the person who listens to this, for you to form reasons more than just God say so, or more than just I'm going to have to wait, because otherwise it's going to be a lot harder to wait. So for me personally, there's quite a few. The first is that I come from a family of sex addicts. And so like the child of an alcoholic who swears off a drop of alcohol, I've decided to swear off sex until I'm married, knowing that that fire within me is much larger than a lot of my friends. And another reason is, like you said, nothing is safer than a covenant. And I think that a covenant is safe, that marriage is safe. And it's a beautiful place that on my wedding night, as I get naked in front of my husband, that I'm not going to run away. He's not going to run away because we're under covenant. We're in it for the long run. I also think that I'm building the muscle of self-control and I'm learning how to say like say no. Like I always joke, I may have just been completing my master's in global leadership, but I'm pretty sure I have my PhD in saying no. Because there have been times that I have been in bed with a man and I have wanted to jump him so bad. And I'm like, no, in that moment, I'm like calling out to God. And I'm like, Jesus, like I, I 
don't want to have sex. I want to wait until I'm married. I need you right now. And in that moment, I'm also learning that I'm the only one that controls my sexuality. That is not the world. That is not another man. That it's me. That as a woman, it's me. And I also think that a, such an important question to ask yourself is, who do you believe God to be? Do you believe God is a good God? And so when it says that God says so, do you believe that if God has asked you to do other things in your life and you and as you've done them, it's resulted in something really beautiful and magnificent, that if God is asking us to wait until we're married, do we also not believe that that will end up being something beautiful and magnificent? Um, I also think it's interesting to take into account of the stats that we have. I think it's important to look at what science is showing us that the people who wait until they're married, like less than 5% of those relationships will result in divorce. And yet, if we compare that to the National Survey of Family Growth in America, over 50% of people who have sex before they're married are at result in divorce. And so it's kind of like poker. I'd rather fold now for several rounds before I go all in when I know I'm going to win on the game of love. And I also want to protect my heart and knowing that if I wait until I'm married, that my chances of divorce is a lot lower. There's also no such thing as safe sex because intimacy bonds us, that our body physically bonds to the person that we are having sex with. And and I am staying in right now, I'm, I'm recording this from Colorado, and I'm staying with one of my best friends, best guy friends. And he explained sex as potion. And he's like, you know, the more you have sex with someone else, your potion is diluted. And but there's certain people or there's one person that you can have sex with, and your potion becomes more powerful, more passionate. And I think that we cannot know freedom without constraint or restraint. And it's in this process of me waiting to have sex until I'm married that I've also met God some insanely beautiful ways of the way where I'm like, God, I want to have sex. And God like meets me in that. And he's like, yes, daughter, like, thank you for calling out to me instead of calling out to the world. Like I will meet you here, like together in that struggle. I meet God more than I ever had before. And also this is the last one. But I've never met anyone and they've looked back and thought, oh, I wish I slept with more people. In fact, they look back and say, I wish I slept with less people. Yeah. I love those. I love all those. <laughs> I, um, I, well, or sociology is one of my majors. Um, and so I really love just like the study of society and like how cultures work and how everything integrates and um, I remember reading this article about how sex outside of marriage or any sort of, I mean, they didn't use the word covenant, but kind of container has contributed to fatherlessness and abortion and um, gender-based violence wow. and pornography and all these things. It's not the only cause, but it has significantly contributed to a lot of societal issues. Um, because in the history of the world, um, there had usually people always got married, and it wasn't always because, you know, God said so or whatever. There were different reasons. Some of it was survival. Some of it was to bring kingdoms together, whatever. But those methods, even though their reasons for marriage wasn't necessarily great, um, certain things in society was prevented because they had a container to experience mm. and experiment with um, their sexuality. I mean, even like yes. STDs and all these things, like that, that's all because it's outside of, I yes. mean, in our um, vocabulary, a covenant. Those things yeah. wouldn't exist if people only had sex with one person or within a covenant. And so, yeah, and I, I think these things are important to know because a lot of times people think it doesn't contribute to societal issues, but it really does. Yeah. Um, and I also know that, oh, I can't remember the exact statistic, but people who waited to have sex 
um, after marriage or only had sex with their significant other um, have more satisfaction in their sex lives. Yeah, I mean, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense because you don't have something to compare it to. And I mm-hmm. think that's a good thing. I think that's a beautiful thing. And this, I, I think we have too many options. You know, we're living in this world of like Tinder and everything is so instant and so available. And so people aren't willing to work on things when it gets harder. You know, no one was born being the best at sex. You're just really good at it because you've done <laughs> it so many times. So why not practice with your spouse? I just think that's exactly. a great idea. But since we're talking about sex, what is sex? Because, you know, I used to, when I was in high school, it's a very interesting situation where I live because we're like this pretty conservative culture that's very much based on Christianity. But then, like, especially the states and their, the morals there have infiltrated our culture a lot because we watch a lot of American movies and everything so there was always this idea of like if you do too much you're a slut but if you don't do enough then you're I don't know what the word is a prude or something like yeah it was this weird balance to figure out um and I remember in high school it was this idea of like you can do everything except like vaginal sex I mean, even if you say um, oral sex, even though sex is literally in the neck, you're like, no, that's not sex. (laughs) Okay, that was also very much linked to a false idea of purity and how virginity equals purity, which is obviously not true. But um, before we get into that whole conversation... Let's just talk about what what do you reco- regard as sex for, I mean, your own standards or whatever. Sex to me is intimacy. Yeah. And intimacy I define as into me you see. And I think that when it comes to sex, sex is about ar- arousal. And so anything that includes arousal, I would define in the category of sex. Mm. That's, that's very good, and I really appreciate that. That kind of goes into the question of how far is too far, because I think when you look at a psychological perspective or a neurological perspective, being turned on already releases a certain amount of dopamine in your mind. And then after a certain point, you also... Um, release serotonin which is the thing that binds you to to the person and so um, uh, yeah the point is just that you don't need to have vaginal sex to be turned on or to have an orgasm or to be binded to that person because sex is like you said yes intimacy but if you think about the physiological thing like it can be anything that turns you on and so for different people, it will look differently um, and you will have to have certain boundaries. But I want to say, yeah, like, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, we can make out and everything is like still, it's chilled until a certain level. But you're putting yourself in a space where if you're like making out a lot or whatever, like no one, okay, no one I know at least makes out and doesn't get turned on like maybe I don't know who that yeah but I just like I don't think that's a great idea you can do that but again also just with like neurological things and I know this sounds like oh this should be a Christian podcast but I think it's important to understand that yes God is saying this but he says this because he designed you a certain way And so science, especially when it comes to sex, is not contradicting the Bible. It's supporting the Bible and its case and this idea that you are made to be bonded to only one person. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So to answer your question, like how far is too far? I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. I don't know 
<laughs> I don't know very few people who would have problem with a hand hand holding, but there's a whole lot of ground between hand holding and sex. And part of, part of why there is not an answer is because for every couple, it is different. And it has a lot to do with self-control. And so kind of like the baseline is the more self-control, the more freedom and physical expression. Um, and so like I think of my sister who her and her boyfriend like went backpacking and traveling around Europe. And they were able to do that because my sister has a huge amount of self-control. And I don't think I could do that because if I'm staying in the bed with a guy, I'm only instantly responding to what my body wants to do. And I would probably want to have sex with them. But I also think that it's really important instead of asking ourselves how far is too far, it's not what we can do, but it's how holy can we make this relationship? It's not what can we do without having to repent on a Sunday but how happy can we make Jesus with this relationship? And can how can we honor Jesus and our bodies and each other as we are made in the image of God? And I remember my mother had a great analogy that she told us when she when we started to ask her at a young age of what was too far. And she said, you know, imagine there's a cliff and you don't want to go, you don't want to jump down the cliff because jumping off the cliff is having sex. And so she says, put the fence far enough away from the cliff so that even if you move the fence a little bit, you're not jumping off the cliff. And so for me, what I do is I would like in past relationships, I've only ever kissed them or made out. And I wouldn't go further than that. I never got touchy and feely. Like he never touched my butt or my boobs or anything like that. Because I knew that if we had crossed that line, I, I it would have been it would have been way too far mm. for me. No, I love that. I also get this question a lot um and I always tell people that I think you're asking the wrong question because I don't think it's about how far is too far it is about who you are becoming in that moment is this thing that you're doing right now is this bringing you closer to Jesus are you in a space where you are honoring Jesus when you're constantly thinking um because when you when you're in that situation right is obviously in any um sort of sexual i don't know situation whatever yeah whatever you want to call it you know (laughs) my english is running out this is the issue but it's fine (laughs) um you and you're not married i've never thought oh i love how i'm honoring jesus right now i really want to invite jesus into this part of my sex life or my sexual experience i was thinking um how far can i go again how far can i go before Mm -hmm. feeling guilty or like not crossing too many lines where i believe that if you are having sex within marriage and you have a healthy understanding of sex and sexuality i hope that you do want to invite jesus into your sex life And you do understand that it is like an experience close to experiencing the Trinity, the three-in-one type of vibe, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, Whereas with your boyfriend, you know, you're not thinking that. So you should ask yourself, why am I doing this? Who am I becoming? And what do I really want? Because the thing that makes us different from animals (laughs) is the fact that we have virtues and we have the power to say yes I have this desire right now like I really want to eat cake Mm. but in the long term I actually want to be a healthy person so I'm gonna say no to this cake because I know in two weeks when I'm running my marathon or whatever I'll be so thankful that I didn't give in to that instant gratification. Where animals, you know, they just do whatever they feel like. And that's the, what the world, you know, the world is constantly telling us. That is freedom. Freedom is just doing whatever you want. But that's not true. True freedom is being able to say no to what you want in the second. Because you're actually saying yes to what you want in, like, the long term. And as believers, yeah. obviously or hopefully, your long-term goal is to become more like Jesus. So you're saying no to this thing right now because ultimately you want to become more like him. 
yeah and it's it's the world can offer us so many goods when god offers us great and great requires time and i think about like how when i was younger i wanted these shoes and there was like the alternative shoes that were way cheaper and not as high quality and i could have just bought them then but i ended up waiting and saving and so even in our sexuality that we're waiting and saving my friend explains it tory masters as like a bank account like you're transferring money and you're like building and building and building in this bank account and I loved what you were saying before about like temptation is like temptation is not a sin but I think we should when it talks about like setting realistic physical boundaries I think we should put ourselves in a place where we decrease temptation and increase accountability so like when I have friends that go over to his house and he's playing music and candles are lit and it's 10 p.m., you're in a place where you're increased temptation and decreased accountability. And I remember when I was dating my ex, I told him that like, I think that's another little side note is that when it comes to setting realistic physical boundaries, be open and honest and talk with your partner and agree on boundaries and then go a step further and be and brainstorm with your community of what boundaries look like and tell them your boundaries and get your community to hold you accountable and because I think sometimes we'll be like we'll talk to our boyfriend and be like okay we're just making out but we don't invite our community into it and I think that's the difference between really being able to hold even stronger to that ability but as I was saying with my ex-boyfriend we talked a lot about boundaries and I would call it I said we we weren't allowed to be together alone past Riley o'clock, which was 10 p.m. Because I noticed that whenever it was past 10 p.m., like Riley got real frisky and I was like, okay, <laughs> like I need to back it up. <laughs> and so it'd be like 10, 10, o'clock, 10 p.m. and I'd be like, all right, bye. Like I need to go. And also remember, it's not a don't. It's just a wait. It's a not now. And so I think that is gives us some excitement that we feel this desire to have sex and maybe you're holding hands or you're making out with your boyfriend or whatever remember it's not a don't it's like it's not like you're never not going to be able to have sex but it's about waiting and not now and knowing in that waiting that you're showing love and respect to one another in one of the beautiful most beautiful ways yeah that I love that I love that so much um I kind of want to end off with a question that you just discussed actually on other Riley's podcast which I will also link below um so we're just gonna quickly talk about um masturbation I mean I know we can do a whole podcast episode on that actually but we're just gonna briefly touch on it um you know, we've spoken about the fact that we both have strong sex drives and that we believe that we should honor God with our sexuality and with our sex drive. Um, so how do we do that? How, we, how do we practically honor God with our sex drive? And is masturbation a way to honor God with our sex drive? Or is it a sin? If it is a sin, or if you believe it's a sin, why do you believe that? Because... Obviously, the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about masturbation. Um, but yeah, just give me your thoughts on that. Mm, yeah, that's so good. I love that first question. Like, why do we have a sex drive and how can we honor God in our singleness? So there is this man and he was a fourth century theologian. So he wrote this years ago and his name is John Christophilum. And he said, but the virgin, on the other hand, has no remedy to extinguish the sexual fire. She sees it rising to a crescendo and coming to a peak, but she lacks the power to put it out. Her only chance is to fight the fire so that she is not burnt. Is there, then, anything more extraordinary than carrying within one all of this fire and not being burnt? And so why I love that quote so much is because for this theologian, he's acknowledging that the virgin will have sexual desires, but he does not conclude that as a result, they they will certainly have sex and therefore must get married. Instead, he's like drawing the complete opposite conclusion. He's saying that these virgins, or like these people, in other words, virgins was just like a word they he would use, is fighting the fire by the power of God. And so the fire is not denied or ignored and the body by and the body itself. But it's, and it's far from being considered bad, but it's actually a place of victory for the person. 
And so let me put that differently. Like your sexuality can be valued by self-control as much as sexual intercourse, because love is not just communicated by the sex one has, but by the sex one hasn't have. And so I say that when it comes to our sex drive, that our sex drive is a beautiful gift. It's a powerful gift, but it's a place in which we can find victory in that we can learn more about ourselves, that we can be an expression of love. And a vital part of healthy sexuality is accepting and understanding that God made it us and he made us as sexual beings. And he made us as sexual creatures that so that we can become more deeply knowledgeable creatures creator like we can become more knowledgeable of the creator because he put this in us and we're given the power to become more aware of our sexuality and know another human sexually and or or understand ourselves in singleness sexually and so that we might have a hint of what it's like to know christ supremely i believe god means for human sexuality life to be a foretaste of the pleasure and purity of knowing him and so i say all that to say that our sex drive is a place that we can meet God. It's a place that we can acknowledge that it's a beautiful place of our victory, that it's a way of us communicating to God that I'm being obedient in this. Like it's hard. I'm feeling the fire, but I'm going to meet you in the fire. I'm going to trust that you're going to help me control this fire. And, and then as with your second question, is masturbation a sin? I would say to that is that I don't know if necessarily the answer is whether it's right or wrong or if it's a sin, but I think it's on a scale of healthy to unhealthy. And I love that question that you said when we were talking about physical boundaries of like, who am I becoming? And I think we have to ask ourselves in that as we're masturbating or as we're reflecting on masturbating, who am I becoming in this? And, and the question I ask myself is, will this elevate or compromise my relationship with God? And so for me, I started masturbating when I was like 12 but then when I had been like it was like on and off and I'd always feel guilty and I think it's really important that as we if this is something you're doing slow yourself down and ask yourself questions and so ask yourself like why did I want that happy shot what was I thinking beforehand what happened beforehand how do I feel afterwards afterwards do I feel empowered or do I feel the need to repent um, and also know that shame accelerates the pain cycle. And so if you can identify ruthlessly the shame in, in that process. And one thing that helped me is like journaling before and after, talking to someone, having an accountability partner, talking to God, celebrating small victories if I made a decision. But also I think it's really important that there's a lot of science behind how good it is to say no to your body. And it's okay to be met with unmet, like be okay with unmet sexual desires and that God has compassion on the reason you want to masturbate and that urges are natural and beautiful and God gave us the sex drive. And one of my mentors, because masturbation can be a habit, one of my mentors said, like, show me your habits, I'll show you your future. And healthy habits lead to a thriving marriage and your body has a memory. And so every time you're masturbating, you're creating a habit and this like this cycle and this rhythm in your mind and so your body is getting hooked to that cycle of of what you're watching and what you're thinking and so I decided to stop masturbating and this was my decision because with all that in mind I know I just said a whole lot but with all that in mind I was realizing that my need to masturbate was me relying on myself, not relying on God, that I felt this need to repent after I masturbated. And I think also the Bible says a lot about lust and the Bible isn't a fan of lust. And so I would say that there is a space that masturbation could be healthy. And that would be the space where you can masturbate without lust for the sake of sexual release, not sexual gratification. Because sometimes our like bodies just need to do it. And in your mind, you're not lusting. And it's just this natural sexual release. And so I think that in those areas that there could be the chance that it's okay. But for I know in my story that with a highly addictive personality and I also asked myself, does this action help me love myself and others more freely and fully? Does it allow me to love God more deeply and and with more of myself. And I ended up deciding, no, I don't think it does. 
And that was a decision I made on my own. And so it's up to you to understand that the reason you're masturbating is beautiful, that you crave love and you crave intimacy. And so then ask yourself, why am I masturbating? What was I thinking beforehand? Slowing your brain down, journaling before and after, having a conversation with God. And with all that in mind, I trust the Holy Spirit to then guide you in a direction that is healthy and more whole for you. Yeah. I very much agree with everything that you just said. And to those who masturbate for sexual release, um, instead of sexual gratification, I would also ask you to be honest with yourself about is that really the reason and will it only stay at that yeah, but it only stay there because again, the goal isn't to see how far you can go. The goal is to become more like Jesus. Um, and I just quickly want to read something by C.S. Lewis, especially on masturbation, that I really appreciate. Um, it's not that long, so I'll read quickly. For me, the real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite which, in lawful use, leads the individual out of himself to complete and correct his own personality and that of another, and finally, in children and even grandchildren, and turns it back, sends the man back into the prison of himself, there to keep a harem of imaginary brides. And, it, and this harem, once admitted, works against his ever getting out and really uniting with the real woman, for the harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifices or adjustments, and can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions which no real woman can rival. Among those shadowy brides he is always adored, always the perfect lover. No demand is made on his unselfishness. No mortification ever imposed on his vanity. In the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. And is not only the faculty of love which is thus sterilized, forced back on itself, but also the faculty of imagination. Okay, and then it goes on, but I won't read the rest. I just think it's important to understand, again, this idea of what is sex meant for. And it's meant to give to another person. And I think often or almost always when we masturbate, um, and I'm also saying this from personal experience because my story is almost exactly like yours <laughs> in that sense, um, that you are not like you are turning to yourself to satisfy yourself instead of turning to God Firstly, secondly, nine out of ten times, it's just um, an escape for a feeling or a need that is not properly met, like loneliness, disconnection, sometimes tiredness, sometimes hunger, which is why it's so great what you said about journal before and after. How did you feel? What, what happened before? I know also statistically most people who masturbate before they get married don't stop after they get married. Um, and again, that's because you're actually running away from something else. You're not really filling the thing that you think you are. You're not just doing it because you're turned on. You're doing it because you feel rejected right now. You're doing this because there's usually a bigger reason and this is just one of those escapes. Um, and so I personally would not re recommend masturbation. But yes, you should decide for yourself and your own con convictions. But really be honest with yourself. Because I think a lot of it, the time we lie to ourselves. We're like, oh, but that's not really what I want. Like, I'm not really that easily turned on or... I'm not really doing this because I'm feeling rejected. But if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you'll realize there are underlying things. And actually dealing with the issues will bring you so much more freedom than just running to something else. Um, yeah, and I'll kind of end up um, off with that. So 
before we leave, um, I just want to ask you, what are you chasing right now? I'm chasing a life full of more vulnerability and raw conversations. I'm chasing the habit of courage in my decisions. I am chasing wholeness and acceptance of identity as God's daughter. I am chasing a life full of adventure and travel and exploration. I am chasing the idea that my love story began the moment I was born, not the moment I meet my husband. And I'm chasing a level of more self-awareness, which includes me understanding the darkness and the messiness and the dark night of the soul of who I am. And as an anagram seven, which is the enthusiast, I don't know if you know anagrams, but I, I, our, our fear is emotional pain. And so for me to be pursuing vulnerability and for me to be pursuing understanding that I'm and acknowledging the moments that I'm sad or mourning, that's really painful and hard for me. But I know that it's in those moments that I chase sometimes the polar opposite of what I want, that those are the moments that I can often meet, meet God most radically. And I'm also chasing a life that's obedient to God in every day and a life that finds one person per day to change to the power of God. And I'm chasing the idea that my sexuality is beautiful and powerful and sacred and that I can be healthy sexual even as a mm. single person. Those are all so good. Wow, I love that. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. I just want to thank you so much for being willing to have this conversation with me. Thank you for, thank you for opening up for being so vulnerable and just sharing parts of your story to complete strangers. I think it's so powerful. Um, and I truly believe that conversations like these will change the world. I absolutely agree. The catalyst to change is conversation. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That's it for this episode, guys. Before you go, though, please check out the link in the description to join our Facebook community because you can meet some new friends who love Jesus and controversial conversations. And isn't that amazing? Have a great day and remember that you are so loved.